All right, team. So thank you so much for tuning in. We have the wonderful Maddie Snow coming back for us with a, a follow-up presentation. And this is just going to complement a lot of the trainings which we've been focusing on already in the month of July. We spoke about managing anxiety. We spoke about personal standards, especially as the world starts opening up. Um, but sometimes having high personal standards and unexpected like expectations which you can't meet with regards to perfectionism is really hard for us to, to make sure we're moving things in the right direction. So what we're going to go through in this one is uh, Maddie's going to take us through understanding and managing perfectionism so that we can get better control of it, we can get better results with the health and fitness, and we can get more stuff done, focusing more energy on the stuff that really matters. Maddie, over to you. Awesome. Okay. So perfectionism is something I like talking about because um, as a stress management burnout reduction coach, it generally comes up for my clients pretty much every day. And um, I'd like to say that they have a lot of other stressors and they do, but generally most of them stem from this perfectionist or all or, mind, all or nothing type mindset, which um, can be really detrimental. And the first thing that I want to kind of go into is where it comes from and why we, we end up with this really hyper perfectionist all or nothing mindset. And that all kind of comes from striving for excellence, which we're all consistently, um, a lot of us successful people, driven people are consistently striving through for excellence throughout our lives. Um, when we're younger, that kind of stuff is absolutely rewarded, which you know, it should be when we're working really hard. Um, we tend when we're younger, especially to either get bad attention or no attention when we're not achieving um, or striving incredibly hard for this excellence. Or if we miss the quote unquote mark, um, that's when we start getting kind of either negative attention from our teachers, our peers, um, or just kind of neutral attention. But then everybody goes wild when we're successful at something. And so that kind of ingrains in us this um, deep-seated belief and feeling and this pathway of to achieve, to do well, and to get the positive reinforcement, I need to be excellent all the time. I need to hit this mark. So at some point, this striving for excellence, which I want to say is an excellent thing and it makes us successful. Um, I, I tend to say I am somebody who has perfectionist tendencies because I absolutely do. Um, rather than I am a perfectionist or a recovering perfectionist, some people say recovering perfectionist. Um, I am a very driven person with perfectionist tendencies um, that I am well aware of, which is the important part. But at some point, this striving for excellence becomes reaching for perfection. And the goal becomes nothing less than the best, which um, is often reinforced in our language. Um, do it right the first time or not at all. Those kind of phrases and things like that are obviously going to reinforce there's, there's nothing without, you either achieve or you fail. There's nothing in between. And that reinforces a lot of our all or nothing mindset that we already have as humans, which crosses all kinds of barriers. And it's often why in today's political atmosphere around the world, a lot of us are having trouble talking to people on the other side of the line because we assume that if you have these beliefs, you, you are this person, you are all this. You are nothing that is anything that I have. And so because we miss that nuance in the middle, we're missing a lot of the communication. And that's kind of what we're doing with our all or nothing perfectionism stuff. So perfectionism on a whole is an excellent coping mechanism that makes us appear successful. And it's a coping mechanism that's kept us safe and, and had all these positive benefits, seemingly positive benefits. But those are all external benefits and they're external drivers. And internally, it's kind of a muddled mess. Um, a lot of highly driven, really successful perfectionists are anxious messes inside because so much of what they build is based on external successes that can be taken away. And less of it is built on things that are rooted in themselves and they're actually motivated for. So because I'm a stress management coach, I'm gonna tie in stress here. 
And perfectionism causes this stress reaction, this anxiety, um, because it's a moving target. And our brains, our brains hate moving targets. They like to have defined goals, things that they, we can either tangibly feel, write down somehow. That's what they prefer. And when we have perfectionism as a goal or perfect or enough, enough is a really big one that people have. I just, I'll be fine as long as I make enough money. What do we want to do with the money? What's our goal for the money? What, when will we hit enough? And when we have these open-ended goals, it's essentially the same for your brain as if you were to have your supervisor say, the deadline is two weeks from now. It's next week. Okay, the deadline's this weekend. The deadline is today. Okay, you missed the deadline just now. It was actually three days ago. And every time that deadline moved, there's a little bit more, a little hit of anxiety. And that's what we're doing when we have perfect or these undefined goals. We're moving the target for our brains constantly and they can't figure out what the actual goal is. So there's a, that line is striving for excellence versus hitting perfection trying to hit perfectionism. And we can see that line pretty clearly because in one, when we're striving for excellence, we generally have a specific goal that we'd like to hit. When we go into the perfectionism aspect, we start feeling anxious, we get frustrated, we're frozen, we're procrastinating. We can't figure out why we can't get started. I hear that a lot. I'm not sure why I can't get started. I'm not sure why this is so intimidating for me. Those kind of things are generally because there's no defined goal and we're just, um, our brains aren't sure where to start. We're not giving them anything. So um, something that I've noticed in language and that kind of builds on this is that we refer to things as perfect pretty often when they don't have to do with us a lot of times. But they're not always perfect, but we're using this word and we're having this ideal and then when people challenge whether or not things are perfect, we get very defensive. So for an example, um, I, when after our wedding, my wife and I had a mini moon for about a week afterwards. And it was a fantastic week and it was not perfect. <laughs> um, our, we brought our dog with us. He got sick in the middle of it, real sick. It was an entire night of sick dog. So a lot of it was not necessarily what you would define as perfect. But I have since called it the perfect week and then realized that when I then say, oh, my dog got sick and it was really tough, you know, in the middle, and they go, oh, well, that sounds horrible. Well, I mean, there's nuance to things. It's not necessarily always going to be 100%. And so when we're looking at things as needing to be 100% or pure or the perfect, then we're expecting that of ourselves. And when we're negating everything every nuance and the little bit of negative that we can see in things, then we're then applying this imaginary construct that we've created, this little bubble of like romance that we made this thing. We're trying to apply that to our future goals. And it's an impossible ideal that we're then carrying on forward. So, um, and then sometimes we get embarrassed when we think things that should have been, should have gone perfectly didn't. And we want to cover up the parts that didn't go perfectly or the things that could have been worked on a little bit as if those are things that we need to be ashamed of because the only thing that we can look, the only thing that we can see and the only thing that has value is something that has, um, is completely without error or completely perfect. Um, another example is last week I had a, um, I had several calls and I was out of town and I was visiting my family and they had very little internet, which I had not realized was going to be part of the game. And so I had these two pretty important calls coming up and the internet was dropping people left and right. You know, I'd hear my sister go, I'm down again, I'm out and from the other room. And so like my anxiety is building the whole time. And at one point I wanted to contact one of the coaches and just say, you know what, this is going to be a mess. Like I might get kicked out a couple times. I'll be able to get in, but I'm going to get kicked out and there's really no purpose. Um, and I really, I thought about it real hard. Um, but what I decided was that my value, if I'm able to get on for 10 or 15 minutes and give some kind of value to the clients, my value is there regardless of the perfection of the call. 
So even, and maybe because of the fact that it wasn't going to necessarily be perfect. And it was actually a call about perfectionism. So I was able to tie it all in. But with that, even if it wasn't going to be my ideal call, it was still going to be valuable. And that's what I think we have to start looking at situations when we're looking at something that we're intimidated by, when we're looking at something that's really tough to move through, examining where the value comes from and weighing the pros and cons of that rather than whether it's perfect or not. Um, there's tons of workouts that I've had clients have who they may not have been on the ball with one of those movements. They weren't able to even get halfway up to a PR on one of the movements, but another one they executed perfectly and they haven't been able to do that before. It's shifting our view of what the value of things are and not deciding ahead of time what we'll decide the value will be. So when we shift and broaden our view of what value is, we're able to move through those things with a little bit more um, grace and a little bit less anxiety. Um, the other thing is when we're striving for excellence, we're moving towards something and you can almost feel yourself being pulled to toward a goal. You know that you've crossed into the line of perfectionism when you feel more like you're shielding yourself from something, when you're protecting yourself from something or you're stepping into some kind of anxious fear that you're avoiding. That's that perfectionism aspect. And that um, in there, in that perfectionist place, there's no ability for growth. There's no ability for creativity. We're living in a um, stress brain forward place. And that's obviously not where creative comes from. Yes, 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 yes. That's an excellent one. Love that, yes because the, um, so when we pass the blame to perfectionism, we're able to alleviate that stress a little bit and we're giving it a reason, we're giving it a name. And this is the reason I'm procrastinating. And so that you feel better about it because, and that is, and, and that kills me. A lot of people have this proud, um, well, I could never do that, I'm a perfectionist okay, you want to be excellent, that's fine. But to be able to, to be able to say, it stops me from doing something because it can't, if I can't create it perfectly, it has no value. Yeah, and then that negative feeling is that shame and that embarrassment of like, well, really, but I can, and it's discomfort because it's not authentic, it's not real. It's um, perfectionism is covering up the real fear and the real issue that we're negotiating here and navigating. Just for those who are watching this back, what we're just seeing in the, the chat box there, a couple of people are saying, um, we can, it's very easy for us to pass the blame onto perfectionism. And there's an element of that which we actually feel quite comfortable with because it's, oh, it's our, basically our pathway for excellence. So we don't want to feel like we're lowering our standards. So that's like a comfort thing that you're doing. If you're passing the blame, you're not taking ownership. Um, but again, I think what we should try and what we, what I'm taking away from this and hopefully what you guys are is you're actually asking yourself, what is the value here? What are you trying to extract from this? And then just a very, very quick share. I was having a conversation with one of my coaches and he was, uh, I basically have this thought process that productive work is time given. The, the, the busier I am, the more productive I am, surely. And then um, he took that step back and he was like, no, like it's your effectiveness is how efficient you are. So he kind of set me the task to basically get what would normally take me like six hours of work done uh, to have it done in like three hours. And uh, I basically managed to kind of do it. And I was just like, so what do I do with the other three hours? And again, it's just, this is your idea. This is the blueprint that you're kind of telling yourself. You need to be busy. You need to be productive. Your perfect vision of a successful business is being busy. Uh, and again, this was this happened to me just like literally two or three days ago when I was speaking with my coach. So it happens at all levels, team. If it's perfectionism with calories or steps, or if you miss a workout or you sleep in first thing in the morning, um, it happens at different levels, new levels, new devils. Am I right? Oh, absolutely. So wait, I got a question for you then. When you um, were able to get everything done in less time, did that have to do with you pushing forward when you were a little bit hesitant on things usually? Or how did you manage? 
Um, yeah, again, I think it's you was wherever the quote is, um, basically things like Pareto, you basically work expands the time that you give it. So very simple tool, which I have. This is a sand timer, it's 45 minutes. So I basically work for 45 minutes and then take a 10 minute rest. I just flip this uh, and away I go. And uh, yeah, just density and just focus and effectiveness with my work more than anything and just blast through it as best as possible can and then take time off it and just be a lot more effective and efficient and just kind of be in the right mindset rather than doing work, kind of slowing and then opening up the other messages and then coming back to it as just one task at a time, tick that off and move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had that experience when, um, when I was in medicine, we worked Saturdays and when we worked Monday through Friday, we had to be there from nine to six. But when we worked Saturday, we just had to get the certain amount of work done. And I finished stuff in like time, like afterwards, I was like, I can't believe I did that. Because when I was able to just know that after I was done, I was done. Yeah. The, the work takes the time you give it. Yeah. Dude. Absolutely. Cool. Um, and so, and the, and the reason I asked that is specifically because when we have a lot of time, um, and this is something that when people do procrastinate on long-term projects, a lot of that procrastination is reworking something or thinking about making something perfect. You think about starting for a while and then, but you can't start yet. You need your environment to be perfect and all of this. So the more that we give that perfectionism room, the more room it takes. And that's the tricky part is when we say we're perfectionists, and that's why things take us longer. Or I can't start on that without this exact same setup that I need. We're reinforcing for ourselves that this is the right way to work. And so we're giving that little pathway that, that goes straight to, is it perfect? Can it be perfect? Can it? And we're dead ending there on a consistent basis. When we're lower. Hmm? Yeah, so just on that, like again, I think we can all relate to COVID over the last sort of 12 months, or now that we're coming out of it, we have a busy social life, like work schedules going on. Like in terms of like our time, we are distracted. Um, our energy and shift is focused and it can be hard for us to channel that focus with regards to weight loss, for example. So how do we kind of shift that focus and then take ownership and yes, understand all of the moving parts and understand that we have physical goals, but how do we extract the value and, and kind of bring that to the importance? When we have so many things going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of um, talk. There's a lot of talk with my clients about falling off the wagon. Mm. And I kind of think about life as a series of wagons and you sometimes have to shift your attention to different wagons. Mm. And so um, understanding that, I think mitigating things with that all or nothing scarcity feeling that we have where now we want to go out all the time because we didn't have going out, yeah. but for the foreseeable future, we do have that. And when, even if it closes down a little bit, we will have it again at some point. And that completely giving ourselves to anything is not necessarily going to support our goals anywhere. Mm. So if we can try to mitigate um, the different wagons, it can be def it's definitely a tough thing and I think it's case by case for sure but the um overlying theme of recognizing that we are all or nothing on a general basis and then knowing that we have over the last year and a half been basically putting everything we have into what we can control which has been a lot of coaching a lot of health and fitness type stuff a lot of eating um, I have a lot of clients that um, in my health coaching business that are now, of course, like they're like, it's been easy at this point. I mean, once I learned how to eat, I controlled every single thing I ate because we've been cooking for ourselves and not going out. And so now there's this balance that I have to figure out. And I think that's, that's what it is. It's a balance of leaning into um, enjoying the social events that we can without deciding that it has to be all enjoyment. And we'll never get that enjoyment again. And kind of being able to also pull in what we've been working on, but also it doesn't have to be all of what we've been working on. There's, there's um, shifting that value. I think, I think the important thing is looking at what the priority is for each situation. And the priority can be, 
I really want to enjoy time with my friends. That's an important priority to have. I just come down to asking myself and as, asking that question. What is the value here? What's the three outcomes I want this week? Right, I have this social event. What do I want to do here? Right, and just giving yourself that clarity, giving yourself this is the direction, this is what I'm focusing on, this is what I'm striving for. Um, more than anything, yeah, huge. I think a lot of people can take a lot from that. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and on that note, it kind of this whole when we're working on ourselves, we think that at some point we're done. And then it'll just go. We just like set it and forget it and everything turns out. But life is really long and there's a lot of ups and downs and sideways. And we've already had this much, so who knows what's next? <laughs> so I think keeping in mind that as you practice the, what is my priority? What is my value? Where am I looking at this? The more you practice that, the easier it gets. Um, perfectionism became, became what it is and became so easy because we practiced it for lots and lots of time. Every single time we did something, we practiced being perfect or presenting ourselves in a perfect way. Um, so I did, um, I'm really excited if you guys wanna share at some point how perfection, perfectionism kind of shows up for you and what kind of, where you really see it showing up the most. Um, I love hearing those answers because they're all different. Um, I know I've heard a lot recently about people pleasing. That's been a big one um, that I never really considered a perfectionist tendency, but it definitely is. Yep. Guys, I know there's a, a couple of you guys on here and uh, I've uh, specifically, I've, uh, we've resonated over a couple of stories. Uh, again, I'm more than happy to, to kind of go first. I was sharing my thought process there, but I know there's people here and I want you guys to get the most from it. Um, there was something that just stands out there with regards to what you were saying. And it sounds like, we've practiced the most perfect way, but we're not in a perfect world. Like mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, yeah, huge, huge. Uh, no. All right, team. So again, who's on the line here? Let's uh, let's see it. I know each and uh, we all can struggle and challenge with perfectionism. If it comes down to time, it comes down to work tasks, if it comes down to deadlines, if it comes down to health and fitness or calories or macros or, or trainings, like, um, Now's the time, team. Come on. And then I do have some things that we can practice to avert perfectionism, too, because that's practice makes perfect the other direction as well. Perfect. Team, if no one volunteers, I'm going to just call someone out because I know that they're, um, they're here for a reason. Michael, can I ask you to take yourself off of mute? This is uh, this one's for you, buddy. I'm throwing you in the deep end here, my man. Maybe he's not there. All right. Um, well, I'll go forward in this one then. What I think kind of perfectionism for myself. Um, I think perfectionism kind of comes up for me and more of just kind of that wanting to like uh, uh, wanting to feel good enough um, in terms of like service for clients, service for, for these guys. And I'm in a few different like, courses and um, there's a lot of a lot of people who are a lot further than I am. And I see them building out these systems and I kind of get caught up comparing with, well, they have this system and I have this system. And then, well, I, my business isn't maybe where it wants to be. Or, or where I want it to be or where I see it being. So I kind of get caught up in saying like, well, where I'm not and then where I want it to be. And then uh, I kind of rationalize, well, I won't bring in more clients, maybe this way. Uh, and then I just kind of get caught on focusing on delivering like the clients that I have and then I don't market. And then I kind of just go from one extreme to the other where I'll start marketing, I'll bring in a couple of clients and then I'll just kind of single in and double down and it's just trying to kind of get that, I suppose, that perfect balance between the two more than anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you used at the beginning of that good enough, like the enough, the evil enough word too, because again, like that, do we have a definition of what that would look like? You have a vision of what you want your business to be and you're headed there. Yep. And you have to go through all of these stages to get to that place, which I think is important for everyone to recognize when um, we're headed towards these goals and especially with comparison that comes into this 
we have to stop at every place along the way. Yeah. And we don't get to skip too. And it's awesome to be able to see where we want to head because a lot of people don't even know what direction they want to go. But um, I think the other part of that is being able to see as you're moving that direction, the shifts in your values as things grow and how you want to serve can shift throughout that when it doesn't go from zero to 150. Yeah. You have that ability to um, create more and, um, and add more value and have people like me come in and chat and things like that, which is a really important thing to be able to, to um, focus on. Yeah. Um, and if you're giving value to your clients, that's, that's marketing, marketing in and of itself too. Very true, very true. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit to kind of take some time. Um, I've always been open and honest, like when COVID first hit, um, I'd only been in business for like two months and I uh, picked up a, a job delivering pizzas with Domino's and working night shift in the Amazon warehouse. And that was 14, 15 months ago. And uh, here I am now. So yeah, again, I think you, you raise a lot of good points here just with regards to identifying what is the value that you're focusing what is the what, what are you trying to extract from that and mm -hmm. uh, it just comes down to checking in with yourself from time to time more than anything absolutely uh, absolutely and then we've got one from here on martin mine's was uh losing weight uh for so long he found himself so long kind of just focusing on the scales and just maybe thinking how how, how much he hadn't lost, how far away he was from his goals and kind of where he wanted to, to, to be and just always got kind of so caught up in the numbers. And I think this is a lot where a lot of people can take this value from because I see it all the time where people want to be healthier, they want to be fitter, they want to be stronger, but like, how do you, you can't quantify that. Like, so when people, the second thing someone says, I want to be healthier, well, now they can run up the stairs without being out of breath. So he pressed that they are healthier, but it kind of meets them in their needs. But how do we kind of take that bigger step and start thinking them a little bit, a little bit bigger? Because I know that was what Martin said on his first call was, I want to be healthier, fitter, faster. Like, we need to explore what does that really mean for you? Like, what does that exactly mean? Because that's not a specific number. There's a feeling, there's emotions, there's, there's things which is sort of encapsulated in that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is, a, that's a difficult one because, um, and I love it because it's almost as if we can't see what we can't, what we don't know is there. And so when we're saying fitter, healthier, we don't even have an idea for what that is. We just are moving away from what we are now. And we know that what we are now is uncomfortable. And so what we want to be is, is different but we don't have any definition. And a lot of times that's why most times, nearly hundred percent of the time, that's why a lot of health and fitness goals fail is because we have a general idea of how we'll feel when we get to that point, but we're not noticing along the way, um, checking in with ourselves, as you said, as to where we are improving. And see, and the weight loss is a bonus. Okay, so something, especially with things like the scale, um, and that, and we kind of create this goal around the scale, but it's not something we can control. And so we spiral a little bit out of control because when we get on the scale, we can't predict what it's going to say. Um, if you have, you know, a little bit more salt, if your digestion's a little off, if, um, for women, especially hormones, insane. I like, I know some women who gain 10 pounds and like, yeah, yeah. So all of those components have have an effect on the scale. And so when we have goals that are scale-based, we're not controlling that. And, it, and having it as a bonus is fantastic. But um, more coaching around looking at what can you do now and what would you like to be able to do in the future? Let's take a walk around the block. How did that feel? What would you like to move that? How would you like to move that metric? Mm. Um, a three-day window month to month yeah no that's that's absolutely true that makes sense yeah um just i wrote in there with guys like females hormones weight loss um basically the there's a three-day window just at the start of uh the female menstrual cycle where hormones are regulated and somewhat in sync as they will be and um yeah <laughs> 
after that, you go into the follicular phase, you go into like, there's all these moving parts and that three day window is when you're most accurately going to get a reading with regards to a month to month progress. Because week to week, as I said, it can fluctuate up to 10 pounds. So females, just reiterating a point, if you're measuring your weight, do it the first day of your cycle and then just do it monthly after that, just to iterate a point again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then once you hit places where you might have like body recomp too, you may not have much scale weight move, scale move at all, but you'll have enormous changes in how things fit and things like that. So, um, I think the hyper-focus, I think rather than when we're doing health and fitness goals, rather than having a hyper-focus on one specific area, like the scale, um, having more of a focus on the different areas that we want to grow. What are all the ways that we're going to support the scale? And let's make goals in those areas rather than making a specific weight goal. So let's make goals in how much activity we have and start small and get bigger from there because those are going to form the habits that last throughout and continue. We can build on, you can build on habits. You can set goals with habits. You can't set goals with the scale because it is so wiggy wummy. Mm. So again, just to, to bring this back, you're, perfectionism is I want to lose a stone what is the value I'm taking away here the value I should be focusing on is hitting 10,000 steps being consistent with my nutrition and remaining if that's what per, that's how we create the score like that's how we create the result of perfectionism but is seeking the tangible valuable points that we're, we're trying to extract from that is that what you're saying absolutely yes right yes. huge um, yeah. I think another one would be the all or nothing mentality towards uh, food, uh, the big red old, the big red fuck it button, um, the all or nothing, right, okay, well, I've had uh, two slices of bread, and I don't remember eating the second, and uh, I was caked in Nutella, um, I'm still not even over my calories for the day, I'm just over my calories for the five hours that I've been awake, um, well, I may as well ruin it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, can you explore that one? I think that's going to be really useful and really relevant for a lot of people. Um, that one I think is also, um, I really like to lean into what we can control. That's my primary goal with coaching in general. So what we can control in that moment is our next step. And so we can say, fuck it. There's absolutely that choice. Everybody has that choice, but you have every um, you know that your next step can take you further or closer to your goals. Um, the same way as if you're driving on a highway and you miss an exit, you can continue driving down that highway until you get to Florida or wherever you're not headed. Or you can take the next exit and then you take a couple more turns and you end up going back in the same direction that you were supposed to be going in the first place. And that's mm -hmm. kind of where I would wrap that up is, is um, refocusing and bringing back to, we set up a day and we say that this day has to be successful, but we forget about all the hours within that day that we get to make decisions all day long. And so instead of giving it up to the bucket saying, well, the next decision, the next hour, I can make whatever decision I want that'll carry me to feeling a little bit better tomorrow rather than completely horrible tomorrow. I think you talked about something really important there with regards like People maybe use the language, uh, I've, I've messed up my plan, I've ruined this goal, I've messed up my diet, I've messed up my week, I've messed up my day. They, they quantify that window, and if it is a Friday night that they go out, it's like, I've ruined my diet this week, Yeah, I'll start Monday. So just even adding on that framework is like, oh, I've, I've ruined my lunch, or I went over my calories for my lunch, fuck, like, if you want to say that, like, just giving yourself that little timestamp on the end of it, I think so, so, so powerful. Absolutely. We touched on something just kind of uh, on Monday there, and I'd be interested, like, in those moments, what, what do you kind of say to yourself? We spoke a little bit, we call it positive interpretation, where anytime I have this moment, I have a, a saying, uh, instead of, oh, I've messed up, I fucked, like, because I'll be open and honest with regards to my past with food and all these different things, all I now say to myself is, all this means is I still have work to do. If I can have a positive in, in, like interpretation of the event and that gives me the next sort of motive, like is there anything that you think is valuable there? When we break down perfectionism, like is there a, a framework or common phrases that you like to use to give people that positive reinforcement? I think 
what you've said there is I've messed up my, my diet for this day of breaking it down. I've, I've, ru- I've, I've went over my calories for my lunch. Like breaking the time frame down is so good. Um, is there anything you think to play on with positive interpretation? Um, I have, and I have a really good one I saw a client like two weeks ago that I can't remember the exact wording on. And those, those are the moments you have to write something down because you know it's going to come back like right now. Um, but one that I do something, something similar to, um, that didn't go as well as I wanted. What's my next step, but I still can, I can, but, and so I think it's important to acknowledge this didn't go the way I had planned it going, but I have the power to do something next. I have, um, I think taking yourself out of the victim feeling of this is happening to me. Now I just have to eat more, I guess, because that's what I've been doing and saying instead, what's my next step? What's my, what's my plan for the rest of the day? Because I had a plan for the first half and I maybe, maybe the plan was too strict, too rigid for today. Maybe I'm stressed today and I need to look at, and that's huge with um, eating, especially is looking at all of the factors. Did you sleep well last night? No, you slept like crap. So you're going to crave carbs and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a physiological thing. So let's look at the second half and make empower ourselves to make a decision that will support our goals going forward the rest of the day. Awesome. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible with that one. Cool. Um, so I have some other thoughts on cleaning up perfectionism that might help out with some of these things too, because there's a couple of them that I've been feeling would touch on. Um, so since it's a lifestyle, it's not just this quick mindset. It's something that we have to practice consistently. Um, and certain ways that we can frame things can help us practice being less perfect and being um, okay with moving forward through uh, not being all or nothing. So the first one I've touched on for sure is acknowledging the value in things that are less than ideal. Um, The value in messing up your lunch entirely is being able to see which things were difficult for you to resist or um, did you go to lunch incredibly hungry and you hadn't had a snack between breakfast and lunch. And so you went overboard and ate way more than you thought you would. Looking at things in a critical way um, and an objective way rather than something that's viewed through these like shame glasses of I've done wrong. Here's the deal. I've done wrong gets us nowhere. So we have to look at what happened and try to look at the data that leads us to that. And it's not excuses. A lot of people think like I'm tired is an excuse. It's not. It's a physiologic thing that we need to pay attention to. So looking at the data and then feedback for later. What can I change for next time? How can I avoid doing this again? Um, or am I just really hungry at lunch and I need to figure out how to be to enable myself to have more calories in the middle of the day and shift things because that's who I am, those kind of things. But there's always value in seeing where we fuck up, honestly. Um, taking should out of pretty much everything is a really big one, especially for perfectionists, um, because we need to look at where the should is coming from. Is it coming from goals that we've made? Most likely not. It's, it's usually the shoulds are coming from external sources. Um, and once we start that shame cycle, we start that perfectionist cycle, we go to all or nothing. You know, there is no, we have to, or we can't. We, it can all be um, a little bit more nuanced than that. And definitely learning, especially in health and nutrition to listen to your body and paying attention to its cues and what it needs. It's incredibly important because we're all different. And um, I love that health and fitness is leaning more into the, in, the individual rather than having blanket plans for everybody that's just, you know, the Atkins diet will work. <laughs> no, we have to look at individuals and we have to look at ourselves individually. Um, perfectionism is also more likely to show up when we are stressed or intimidated by something. So when we're trying something new, when we have um, either new uh, like calorie goals or if we are striving to hit something before a certain date, those kind of things are when perfectionism is gonna go into overdrive. So recognizing that and being able to talk through with someone potentially whether or not our, a lot of times when you can talk about why you fucked up, 
instead of just thinking it in I statements in your head, it starts feeling a little silly when you say it out loud. And as soon as you say, well, it sounds silly, but, and you start talking through it, it gets it out of your head. It gets you out of that emotional brain and you're able to process things more effectively. And we can process things. We get away from some of that perfectionism because all of this is um, if we keep it in our heads, it will just end up on this hamster wheel of death. It'll never get off. Um, and then this is a really big one for health and fitness, giving ourselves a range for our goals rather than a static goal can be really helpful, especially for to avoid all or nothing. When our goals are, I will work out four times this week, then your options are zero or four in your mind. Three is not acceptable because your goal is four. And so when you slip, quote unquote, and you hit three instead of four, you have failed, you haven't hit the perfect number, we spiral, we, what, what's the point? I can't do it, you give up. If you say, I'd like to work out between two and four times this week, four would be ideal, but if things get a little bit stressful, if I'm too, you know, if life, get, life happens a little bit, then um, two, three, that'll, that'll be fine. When you give yourself a range, you take away the capacity for it to be all zero or nothing. It has to be one or the other. So the range is a really great thing. Um, having an idea for, you know, if you do have those stress snacks at night, having something where you're allowing a little bit of a stress snack, a stress snack that you've portioned that you've decided is okay. Things like that allow you instead of saying, well, I can't have anything to say, this is my this is my stretch goal. I would prefer to not have that, nothing at night, but if I have to have something, I'm okay with it being this. And that again, practices that there isn't perfect. It's, it's all shades. And then um, identifying when your goals are undefined. Um, if we don't have a defined goal of potentially how often you want to walk, how many steps to get a day, this is why we, we try to put these goals, quantitate these goals, because when we don't have goals, um, your brain goes on this kind of infinite loop and it just burns out because it's not quite sure where we're headed. And every week it seems like we're headed somewhere different. So when you have the goal of 4,000 steps a day for this week or the range, as I said, four to 7,000 steps, let's say, and then you hit that for the most part. Okay. Now I can increase every time you hit something and then increase it you give your brain little shots of dopamine and little reassurances that you're moving towards your goals. Your brain has this really interesting thing in it that's basically a GPS for your goals. When you present a goal to yourself, your brain catalogs it and holds you to it, which is a lot of times why we feel so shamey around making decisions that aren't necessarily quote unquote in line with our goals because our brain has that calibration, that GPS, it's checking in with you on a consistent basis saying, well, this is what you said you would do. Are you lining up with that? So recognizing that we can try to set quantitative goals that'll get us closer and give our brains a little bit more of a checklist to hit versus an open-ended, I'd like to lose weight. Um, sometimes I miss my calorie goal. Sometimes I hit it and I go out like every other randomly night, you know? So um, definitely having that, that um, the defined goals is really important. Do you have something, Matt? No. Absolutely spot. Just to, again, summarize, like um, saying things out loud, bringing that to articulate, it sounds silly, but um, giving yourself the range versus the static goals. We do this a lot with tracking calories, um, anything between 2000 and 2200, um, or what's your target for the week, again, would like anything between 9,000 and 10,000 calories for the week. Super good. Uh, the stress snack, again, make that decision. Um, if you are going to have something, we've spoke a little bit about the best case, worst, the worst, best, worst case meal plan. You guys know what that is. Um, goals, again, as we said, making sure you're checking in with yourself. It comes down to awareness. Uh, we have this, as you said, this sort of um, GPS in our brain. So bring it to the surface and yeah, repetition, execution, and let it go. Huge, a lot of good points here, a lot of really good points here. Mm -hmm. um, that, um, the other thing is when we sometimes miss one of those goals or when we're starting that negative spiraling that kind of leads to um, throwing it all out and you know, it doesn't matter, I can't do it anyway. 
that negative spiraling is coming from an emotional place that's very tied to our identity. So there's actually a kind of a brain hack that you can take your brain and separate it from you feeling the negative spiral. And that's talking to yourself in the third person, which sounds crazy, I know. However, when you use your name, it actually makes your brain think you're talking to someone else and it starts treating you. It's the same as someone saying, talk to yourself as you would a friend, something like that. But it makes you that friend in your brain. So that slight difference of saying and talking, you know, Maddie, you messed up on lunch. You absolutely did. And you shouldn't have had four ho-hos. That was a mistake. However, what can we do next? Because we know we can do something. Maddie, just do something different next. When you're able to put your name there, it breaks that cycle of the emotion that's driving the negative spiral. And that can be really important for getting yourself back on track in the moment when you don't want to involve anyone else or, you know, you're trying to get yourself back going. Um, it's similar to when we journal and things like that, we're able to break that um, ruminating craziness that sometimes our brains get on. Anything that can snap us back to reality and something like using your first name is um a really good way of doing that. And it's actually one of the best ways that researchers have found for us to stop like that negative chatter that we have in our heads is using our name. Um, and then my last one was the same kind of thing we were talking about with framing things instead of um, trying to catch ourselves when we say things like, well, that couldn't, that could have gone better. Well, that was horrible. Um, that went really poorly. But framing it more as it went okay. Maybe parts of it were less than ideal, but now I have feedback for next time. So what am I gonna do next time? Um, as an example, I had the, I had a presentation, my very first presentation I did was for a really big account, um, social media account on Instagram. It was, I was kind of shocked that I got it, but it was last October, I think. And um, I didn't use a, it was the first time I had done a stress presentation and I didn't put together a slide deck, which I thought would be totally fine. Um, but I also was pre presenting to like 30 people and recorded for the first time ever. It was a mess. Um, and I can say that lovingly. It was a little disjointed. I was incredibly stressed. I, when you're stressed, you're, you know, not thinking with your thinking brain. And so I just kept saying the same things over and over again. Um, I read from a notebook that I kept trying to hide. It was, it wasn't great, but afterwards, instead of, I started that spiral and I started saying I was never going to go on zoom again and talk to anybody. Um, and then I realized that obviously that would pretty quickly end my business, like my futures in this field. So I sat down and wrote down things I could do differently. And the number one thing I came up with was use a slide deck when I'm introduced, when I'm nervous or anytime I need, I'm not exactly sure I'll have the content I need or be able to talk, use a slide deck. And since I started doing that, everything went very smoothly, but I still look at that time as not being frustrated about it. It's more that um, it gave me amazing feedback that I wouldn't have known otherwise. And um, so that's, that's kind of pulling that all in. Um, and then always focusing on what you can control. That's my number one. Um, when my internet was dropping out last week, the way I managed to work myself through, because we all still have these perfectionists, like Matt said, coaches are not immune from these perfectionist tendencies that make us just want to stop it all. Um, so when I was worried that my internet was going to drop, I did, I controlled what I could. I prepped with a hotspot. That was the most I could do at that time. So here we go. I've got a hotspot going. I let the coach know in advance. I could have not done that, but then I also was worried about dropping out and potentially not being able to get back in. So I wanted to give her a heads up. Um, and then I reviewed my notes so that I would be ready to think because when you're working in this perfectionist stress place, you're not working again in your thinking brain. And so if you have things to say, they may all disappear in a moment because your internet's a little sketchy. So reviewing my notes, writing them a little bit more thoroughly, more clear so that I could definitely zero in on them when I was nervous. Those were things I could control. And I hopped on the call and just let it be, would be. I got kicked off twice. 
it was what it was. Um, but I got back in and because I had framed it that way, everybody was very forgiving of it. But um, yeah, I think that's, those are my key examples and ideas. Awesome. I think uh, we've uh, taken enough of your time. That's us just coming up to the, uh, the error mark. So yeah. team, again, if you're watching this back on replay or if you're on the podcast, make sure you, one, give Maddie a follow. She's posting a ton of always good stuff. And uh, as well, let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Some, some key points which I want to kind of just summarize for, just for some sort of cliffside notes, is um, striving for excellence really just kind of comes down to your attention. And that's influenced strongly from when you were younger. Um, there's a big difference in terms of striving for excellence and trying to reach or hit perfection. Um, there's kind of the thought process is either perfect or don't do it at all. Um, stress is a moving target. Our brain really needs that quantifiable, like the tick box. So make sure you're giving it direction. Make sure you're extracting the value. Effectively, you're defining your per perfectionism. Um, you're just, again, what's the actionable steps here? What's the things that I can control? What are the outcomes? What are the processes which are going to get me those outcomes? And just having that, that clarity. Big thing is uh, should the expectations, shames get us uh, absolutely nowhere. Make sure we remain uh, in check with the, the data. Speaking to yourself, language is going to be super, super important. Um, again, as I said, it really just kind of comes down to dealing with absolutes. Uh, I've totally messed up, not using that, giving yourself some wiggle room, giving yourself those ranges to, to aim towards. A big thing we say, keep coming back to, team, when emotions are high, intelligence is low, so make sure you keep your emotions in check. Speaking to yourself in, in third person, um, again, makes it a little bit more playful. And uh, yeah, use failure as feedback and make sure you're checking in with yourself. I thought that was absolutely incredible. I took like three pages of notes there. So yeah, absolutely spot on uh, with that one. Um, team, let's wrap up there. Maddie, thank you so much. That was brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Close that down. Listen to your ears now or shut your ears.